Hello? Hey. The birds are chirping. Holy shit. Yeah. Are you in a zoo? Did you did you go to a zoo? No, it's rainy and it's cold and the birds are like, God damn it. <laughs> it sounds like they're all happy, but they're just, God damn it. This weather fucking sucks. Hmm. The bird whisperer. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. How about if birds actually like thought like human beings? But I don't think they do. I think that's the problem with animals is that humans like kind of, uh, what's that when you like project? They project their own feelings on animals. And these animals are like, that's not what I'm thinking, human. Yeah, well, we anthropomorphize animals and assign, yeah, we assign emotional meaning to their existence that really is just a projection a mirroring of our own shit. Yeah, I mean, I think animals definitely think and have feelings and stuff. They just that their their thoughts are alien and they're not like ours. Well, especially a bird. I mean, birds are like the closest relative to the dinosaur, reptiles, and who knows what the fuck's going on with them. We can kind of understand other apes, you know, other mammals and apes tend to act similar to us because we have a lot in common with them. Right. But a fucking bird or a lizard, a snake, get out of here. I know, dude. I think about that with bugs, too. What what the fuck do bugs think about? I don't know, man. I wonder if it's just endless looped cycle of survival. Just sex, food, and, and surviving. Which is pretty much all I think about. So maybe we're not that different. I mean, I think about everything under the sun. I don't, I don't think about three things. I think about three things every f- fifth of a second. What are you, fucking Gandhi? I think about everything under the sun. I mean, I just do, I just do, man. My brain, like if I see anything I see, immediately my brain starts concocting a giant story around it. Oh my God, dude. I'll see a chick in traffic who may not even be attractive. And if we're at a stoplight for enough time, I don't know, 90 seconds, I've built a whole life with this chick. Fuck 90 seconds, dude. It happens in less than a second. Like, I'm talking details, mundane details, where we live, what she, what we're like, what we're like on good and bad days, what our kids are like, what the sex is like, uh, if they if they still like me, if, we're st- if things are still fresh. I'll do all that in traffic. That's the difference between you and me, because I don't spend any time thinking about the ladies like that at all anymore. I used to, though. But I I don't at all. What do you do now when you when you spin these worlds out? I just I don't know. Like I'll like if somebody like swerves a little bit immediately, I'm like, who is that person? What they look like? What their lives are like? Are they texting? What are they texting? What's on their phone? Are they Republicans? Are they Democrats? Where do they live? What are their families like? Uh, like that all happens in one second, <laughs> and then it just goes out from there, like a like a giant nuclear bomb until the next tiny thing happens and then that turns into a nuclear bomb of of ideas and thoughts and stuff so that's happening all the time which is great if you want to write a song because i've always got something to write about bukowski had that great quote about being a great writer just means having a great memory just remembering just taking in things i just read bob dylan's autobiography called chronicles and it it's an interesting biography, and it was intended to be a multi-volume thing. It's called Volume 1. He never he never made a Volume 2. This came out like 15 years ago. And it only covers three albums of his. He's got like 35 albums. It only covers his first album. It covers 
an album no one liked from 1970 called New Morning, and it covers the Daniel Lanois album, Oh Mercy. I mean, as you can probably imagine, he's an amazing writer. And really what makes it amazing, what makes any great writer amazing, is just the, the remembrance of details that can put you in the world that they're trying to conjure for you. I feel like you write well that way. You'll be writing something that's pretty poetic, but then you'll have these, a weird sort of tangible detail that really puts you in the, in the space that you're creating, where you kind of feel like you're there. It's pretty cool. Well, I like describing stuff where when you say what it is, it conjures up some image in the in the listener. I don't like stuff where it's just like where you're 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 saying something but it's not describing anything. It's just like an emotion or an idea or something. Like that is less interesting than like that's why I like using superheroes in my songs. So if I say Batman, you immediately know what Batman looks like. Whereas if I say Frank, you got an idea of what Frank looks like, but Frank could be anybody. And then if you just say he, that's even less interesting because now that's all guys. So I like being more specific when I'm writing because, again, it makes it more interesting because all of a sudden now you have to deal with that as a listener. Bob Dylan does that perfectly. Like, he's really good. Like, his songs are chock full of of little details like that. Every sentence has something in it that's like an actual thing that you, now you have to picture and put together with the rest of it and it just populates the song with like real physical things and gives gives his songs this physicality that a lot of writers don't have. His 60s stuff is like there's something insane to chew on everywhere. He was like amphetamined out and he was at the height of that kind of crazy beat poet shit but i like his later stuff there's a song on oh mercy called man in the long black coat that i highly recommend everyone checking out but the first verse says crickets are chirping the water's high there's a soft cotton dress on the line hanging dry window wide open african trees bent over backwards from a hurricane breeze that's what i'm talking about those are all things that he just strung together and as you hear them you see it you picture them in your head and all of a sudden it, it's much more interesting than like oh i was thinking about how blah 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 who gives a fuck i agree i feel this way now what hey speaking of superheroes we got a bunch of emails i'd like to dip into some emails because we're the show's growing a lot and and thank goodness we love all you guys out there who uh write in it's very cool it's bob and clint at gmail.com you mentioned superheroes zach wolf writes in and says bob and clint still loving the podcast glad to see i'm okay on instagram now which by the way go follow us on all the socials blah 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 he says, Bob, I love that Conan song. Heard it on the Saxon Facebook feed. It fits nicely with Thor and your other songs about superhero types in everyday situations. It occurred to me that rock stars are basically the closest real thing we have to superheroes. Maybe that's why you like the idea? When I hear these songs, I think of running into B. Schnids in the produce section of H-E-B. He says, Clint, is there some theme like this you find yourself returning to in your songs lately? Would love to hear your thoughts, boy. <laughs> I don't know if I have a thing quite like that. My writing is different than Bob's in that I'm not an artist. My songwriting goals depend on who's in the room with me and what we're trying to do that day. So it'll be an idea or a feeling or it'll be something that my publishers asked me to try to write. It's it's way more of like an assignment writing type deal. But I think I chase the same things that you're talking about, Bob. And I respond to the same things you respond to. That's why we, we like a lot of the same music is simple imagery that's designed to evoke a place and a feeling so you can see it and, and almost close your eyes and reach out and touch it. 
that's about feelings, but it's it's not just saying I'm sad today. The girl I like doesn't like me. Yeah. I reach for all that stuff too. Thanks for the email, Zach. I, I so I put Conan in the uh in the set list last week and I was like, I wonder how many songs I have with people's names because I know I have a lot. So I put it so I like looked at all my songs and I put together a list. Dude, let me just give you a list of all these are song titles. Okay. Six million dollar man. Peter Chris, Batman, Conan, Captain Kirk, Fu Manchu, Hulk, Han Solo, Lana Del Rey, King Kong, John Lennon, Miss America, Mr. T, David Spade, Pablo Picasso, <laughs> Superman, Taylor Swift, Wonder Girl, Salome, Thor. Now those are those are famous people. Now these are just regular people. Angelina, Astro Girl, Eddie Golden, Dr. Cold, Chiefy and Nico, Chili McGillis, Greg the Gangster. Hilda the Clone, Madeline, Lucinda, Lorena, Katie, Julianne, Jimmy the Trucker, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. How crazy wow. is that? Well, you've written a lot of songs. That's just bound to be just sort of a, a a byproduct of the volume. I mean, what the fuck? You got to call songs something. It's true. You do got to do that. You know what you got to do? You got to call a song something. So, dude, check this out. So, my son, who's in ninth grade... I said something to him, and he goes, Drippy. <laughs> what do you know about me, Clint? What do you know about me more than anything in the world? I know that you're afraid. <laughs> yeah, of course I'm afraid. But what happens when you say something like Drippy to me? You say it over and over. You... It becomes your vernacular. Oh my god, dude! I've been using the word drippy nonstop. I probably used uh, that was on the way to school. We had about another twenty minutes. I probably used the word drippy at least five hundred times on the way to school. Uh, so he said it, and then I was just like, "Oh, dude!" It was like, "Oh, thing." It was like, I don't know, man. Like if you're in the desert and you're looking for water and you see an oasis and then you see the oasis, you're like, ah, oh, there's the oasis. Like when he said drippy, that's how I felt. Like Jesus in the desert seeing the water after 40, 40 days. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, All right, I'm going to take a left up here and keep it drippy. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it trippy, boy. Oh, my God. So I was just, I was saying trippy. And then finally, I was like, what's drippy? And then he does this thing where he like, he doesn't explain it to me. He just does a thing where he, he takes his hand. He's like, he's measuring his leg. And he does one like at his shin and then one at his knee. And he just goes, boom, boom, like that. Doesn't say anything. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. Drippy. So that's the, ex that's the explanation. So now... Of course, when I see my son, first thing I do, I do that, where I like do half shin, half knee, and I'm like <laughs> keeping it drippy. Ah! You're gonna kill drippy for him, man. Well, he thinks it's funny. I think it's funny, so we'll keep thinking it's funny for a while. Oh, I just I'm gonna enjoy my ignorance about all this. I'm just gonna enjoy not knowing or caring about any of that. All right, let's read another email. Luis Bronco, who I recognize from Metal Up Your Podcast, writes, Hey, Bob and Clint. My name's Luis. I don't usually write in, but I feel like I have to say something. I was listening to your recent episode 
in which someone asked Bob who was his favorite guitar player from the ones who played with him, and he started talking about a song called Montgomery and the solo Clint played on that song. I got curious and went on YouTube to find that song, and it caught me by surprise. It hit me like a punch in the stomach in a good way. The mood, the melodies, the lyrics, the vocal delivery, even the video, it's just so beautiful. It made me feel something, and that hasn't happened in a while. I know you don't need the validation, but for what it's worth, you made another human being feel good for a moment, Bob, so thanks. Oh, and by the way, fuck all the other guitar players, because Clint, my friend, the solo should be on a museum. P.S. I wrote this poem. <laughs> nice. He's doing the callback to the uh, the one of the worst three sentences ever. Thanks, Luis. Uh, good thing about music is when it hits you, you feel no pain. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? That's my new thing. Do that again. One thing about music is when it hits you, you feel no pain. What is that fucking whistle sound? It's a little uh, flute that I have. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep it laying around in case I need to do some flute work. Uh, Just in time, just in case we need a little carnival ambiance back there. Yeah. Imelda Lifts writes, who's a patron, by the way. Hi, Bob and Clint. You guys crack me up. I've loved your podcast from the beginning. I'm glad I got to see and visit with Bob at the recent Houston show. Didn't realize how tall you were. I was able to get Bob's two most recent Houston shows through the frunk, and it's like listening to stand-up comedy, which I love. If something makes me laugh, it's golden. On a more mental note, I suffer from bipolar disorder and went through a recent manic phase again, and the podcast title alone reminds me to check in with myself. Am I okay? Am I not okay? So thank you. I'm a huge Instagram user and don't find, didn't find the show account this week. Happy, happy. Oh, wait. I guess she's saying she found the Instagram account. Happy, happy, happy. Thanks for all you do, Imelda. P.S., I feed my son pizza bits now because of your pizza bit stories, and he loves them. So that was our shameful pizza rolls evening. Has inspired her to feed that to her offspring. <laughs> I like I like the idea that pizza rolls are too big, and so now she just does pizza bits where she'll take a pizza roll and then get cut it, it in half. Well, at first she's got to bake it until it's there's no moisture left, and then she crushes it into pizza bits and then feeds that to her. It's more of a pizza roll crackle. It's like bacon's, but with pizza. Yeah, you sprinkle it on a. You know what you sprinkle it on? You don't sprinkle it on salad. You sprinkle it on actual pizza rolls or birds. <laughs> you sprinkle it on birds. That's what the birds are upset about in Austin. One good thing about pizza bits when they hit you, you feel no pain. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's like a short, tight blow on that thing, too. Yeah. And then it's out. For sure. All right. Are we moving through emails still? Yeah, let's keep going. We got some time. We got some time. I feel like I'm also learning. I'm learning and listening, which usually I'm just listening and teaching, but now I'm listening and learning. Good thing about listening and learning, when you learn stuff, you feel a lot of pain sometimes, because growth is sometimes accompanied by painful moments. And that was Deep Thoughts by B. Schnizzles. Mundy Hendrickson writes in and says, Hey, guys. Hey. She says, How did you guys meet? Would you like to tell that story? I feel like we've told it on the podcast, but I was playing a a festival in Carmel, California. It was like some kind of like a film festival that Clint Eastwood puts on. And there were some uh, music acts playing and one of the acts was our good friend griffin house and you were playing with him and then i loved the i loved your set and i loved your playing and i got your number and and uh, the rest is history 
Yeah, that's how we met. It was pretty fun. Remember Mr. Brainwash was there? Yeah. You guys got to see this documentary called Exit Through the Gift Shop that Banksy made about this street artist called Mr. Brainwash, which when we met him at, at the Carmel Film Festival, that documentary I don't think had come out yet, had it? I'd seen it, yeah. Oh, it had, okay. I think he might have even been there because of that documentary. Well, that makes sense. It was a film festival. Because I guess Clint Eastwood is the mayor of Carmel? He was. Such a weird gig. I don't. Was that a one-off for you guys, or were you guys on a run out we, in, out in the West Coast? I don't know. I don't remember. We were on like a fifty-day run. We were we were on an eight-week tour, and that was just one. Like we were insane by the time we met you, dude. By the time we got out there, yeah, that's too long to be on the road. People don't understand what it's like to be on the road. They think, oh, that's fun, but after two weeks, it gets to be such a grind. And at eight weeks, you're you're actually kind of insane at that point. So we started in Nashville and we went all up the East Coast and then we started to cross through. And when we got to Portland, Oregon, it was week five and we had three more weeks. So then we were going to go all the way down the West Coast and then kind of through Phoenix and New Mexico and Texas all the way home. And I remember thinking I was as far away from home as we were going to get on the whole tour. We were like basically by Vancouver. And we were only five weeks in. We had three to go, and we were not okay. We were in a bad way, dude. Uh, just because of all the drinking, lack of sleep, the partying, plus just the isolation, just the strangeness that happens to you on tour. I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, we have three more weeks. Like, it's already so bad we're not even talking to each other. It's a terrible, terrible feeling when you've been on the road for five weeks and you've got three weeks to go because what ends up happening like the first week is fine because you're out on the road. You're having fun. You're having fun. But every night that you're on the road, especially if you're in a van, but even if on your if if you're on a bus it happens, but for sure it happens if you're in a van. Every night you lose a little bit of sleep and you don't ever make it up. So you're sleep deprived by the end of the first week. By the end of the second week, it starts becoming a grind. If you're if it's a three week tour and you've only got one week left, you're like, okay, I can make it through this week. But if you're on an eight week tour, you got five weeks, and you're in week three, and it's already getting to be a grind, and it yeah. doesn't get any better. It just keeps getting worse and worse, and and it's one of those weird things where like you haven't gotten a lot of sleep, you start getting grumpy, everybody gets on each other's case, you you start feeling like. I don't, can I even make it through this whole thing? And then the only thing that really helps is drinking and that makes it worse. Yeah. And uh, it just builds and builds and builds. And then that's why, that's why bands break up. Like you're like, how did that band break up? It's because they're on the road, sleep, sleep deprived on top of each other, getting grumpier and grumpier. And eventually they're like, I can't do this anymore. The way that I always dealt with it when I did those long tours is you would have like an anchor city that you were looking forward to. Like, oh, uh, well, I know that in a week and a half we're going to get to San Francisco and my buddy's there and I'm going to get to see my buddy and, and be able to get off the bus and be with someone else that I like. So you you have these little things you look forward to and it'd be like, well, how many shows until that? Like nine. That That's how I would orient it. But it is it is interesting. It's like relationships too where you could look at a relationship that you don't understand, even if it's just like a between a couple. And the couple who were once in love and had all these great feelings for each other, they're just completely, there's a chasm between them that cannot be crossed. 
And you wonder how it happened, and it seems really sad, but touring, you really see that because you're like, you guys are just getting on stage and playing music. How could it be that bad? But I've been in those situations where we literally could not look or talk, look at each other or talk to each other. It's horrible. Being in a band, I don't think people understand that being in a band is like being married. But, yeah, it is. But you're, but you're married to somebody who you don't know that well. And you really don't get to know them well until you get on the road. And then you get on the road and you realize, oh, I don't like this person at all. And you're with them all the time. And it's such a weird thing because you can get along with anybody when you're not on the road because you're just seeing them at practice and then you're seeing them at the gig. And it's fine. You don't have to have that much in common with them or you know what I mean? You you can get along. Right with those people it's like it's like going to work but imagine all the people that you work with were to like get on a bus together for eight weeks and you couldn't ever get away from them that's what being in a band's like right and and you know i've done that in a bus but i've also done that kind of length of a tour in a van where not only that but you're sleeping in the same hotel rooms and we were two to a bed so the glamour of that dissipates like the fucking morning mist really quickly yeah well the longest tour i ever did was 10 weeks and that was in a van and literally at one point i remember being in a hotel in road where was it rhode island providence and we were like on the 11th floor in a pretty nice room and i just remember thinking i'm gonna try to get this window open and jump out and it was one of those windows that would only crack. It wouldn't open all the way, so I couldn't get out. But who knows? If that window would have opened, I was so crazy by the end of that tour. Maybe I would have jumped out. I don't know. I know. Well, yeah, I've done that. I've I've been in like, you know, New York or L.A. and just had to leave and go walk and just walked for hours and didn't know where I was. And I remember it's weird how the time that thing crunches down even when you start shortening your tours because touring with you was nice because it was never more than like 12 or 13 days. But what was a little tough about that is it's a it's there's a show every day. There's no off days. Right. But I I prefer no off days. Like right. If right. I'm going to be on the road and I have an off day and I'm not at home, I start getting real mad. But when I started working with you, though, I was used to the eight-week stuff. So when you're doing eight weeks, off days become really important because you're just there's so much work to do. But yeah, if you're only going to be gone 12 days, let's fucking do 12 shows and hammer them and get home. Well, plus plus you've got a nut. Uh, you know, every day that I'm on the road... you got to pay for it. I'm paying for hotels. I'm paying everybody's salary. You know, and, and if you're not playing, you're, not make, you're, you're losing money. So right. it's a business, and uh, it's... A, it's definitely a hard business. Now, it's a business where you can make a lot of money if you get to a certain point. But the point where I'm at, I don't make money when I travel with a band. It, it, the best thing I can do is break even. Like, if I break even, I'm like, all right, then it was a success. And if I lose money, I'm like, well, that's just part of the cost of doing business. Well, I remember we were in Denver playing the Bluebird Theater, and it was like a day 11. It was like towards the end. And I was just having a really tough time. Do you remember this? Like, I was really grumpy. I looked like the Unabomber. Because <laughs> when you live on a bus of people, you have to send out these signals that, like, I don't want to be talked to today. Right. And for me, that's all black, sunglasses, hoodie, putting out the vibe. And I remember as soon as the bus stopped, I just got out and started walking. 
And it's a bummer to feel, to get to that point because it affects the mood of other people. And we're all, it's like these people have to be in a closed space with me. I'm the fucking grumpy asshole. But you just hit these weird walls. And I remember after, either after that morning or maybe it took the whole day and the whole show, I was fine the next day. But you just, sometimes days get sideways out there too. I feel like there would be whole days where I wouldn't see you until the stage. Well, I mean, the one thing that you learn to do when you play in a band is be around people, but not interact with them. Like you, you it's almost like this weird safety cocoon that you've created, like an invisible cocoon around yourself. And you try to respect other people's invisible cocoon um, and not, you know, not bug them. And you kind of, you, you kind of have to know how to read people and, and I, half of the battle of being in a band is the, the hang. Like, I mean, I'm in my band, I'm the boss, so I get to hire whoever I want. So I'm only going to hire people that are relatively easy to hang with. Um, anybody can do the job. And there's lots of people I know that are great players who I would never travel with. Because they've got drug addiction problems or alcohol problems or just personality disorders where they're just impossible to travel with. So, but if you're in a band where it's, you know, like it's a democracy and you're stuck together, oh, dude. I just remember when I, the last band I was in, Ugly Americans, I was like, I will never be in a band situation again because. You're stuck with these people. You can't get rid of them. You can't fire them. All you can do is fire yourself, really. Right. Well, that's going to bring us to a close on this episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. Listen, you can write in and email us, bobandclint at gmail.com. Go find us on all the socials. Go check out our other podcasts. Bob's is called The Song Club. Mine's called Metal Up Your Podcast. It's a weekly all-Metallica podcast. And go check out Patreon. We're on Patreon now. Here's all the cool shit you get. We're about to leave this episode and go into what we call the Secret Weekly, in which we will get to make bonus content. And once you sign up for Patreon, it unlocks all the previous Secret Weeklies. You get every song I write every month, which is anywhere from 5 to 15 songs. You get postcards. You get a whole bunch of cool stuff. It's patreon.com backslash the letters I-O-K. Anything you want to add, Bob? I hope I see you in just a few moments in the Secret Weekly Clubhouse. All right, well, let's kick it to the Secret Weekly. Peace, everyone. Peace. (laughs) 